If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we want to read together verses 19 through 34. I've been talking the last couple of weeks about uh, the, the need for proper stewardship in our lives, good stewardship. We talked about the need for good stewardship of our time and uh, last week of our talents. This morning, we want to look at this passage. It's in the uh, context of the Sermon on the Mount, the first uh, major sermon recorded in, uh, in the Bible from our Lord Jesus. And this is, of course, related to stewardship of our treasure. Matthew, nine, uh, Matthew 6, verses 19 through the end of the chapter. The Lord Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body about what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your father, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Brief prayer. So our Father and our God, I pray that you would give us some very basic foundational insight in being good stewards of our treasure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have an app on my phone. It's, uh, it's called Headway, and uh, through that app I have access to a large library of book summaries. So you can get a, the, the summary of a whole book in about 15 minutes. It's pretty, pretty helpful. It's not, a, it's not a, a collection of Christian literature by any means. There's all kinds of, there's a wide variety of topics in the library, topics such as uh, leadership and productivity, business and career, as well as money and investments. I haven't listened to any of those in that last category, but there are some rather interesting titles, such as Clever Girl Finance, 
learn how investing works, grow your money. Or your infinite power to be rich. Did you know you have infinite power to be anything? Infinite power to be rich. The Bogleheads Guide to Investing. Get good with money. Ten simple steps to becoming financially whole. The Automatic Millionaire. A powerful one-step plan to live and finish rich. Uh, Twelve months to a million dollars. And then, how about this one? The Latte Factor. You don't have to be rich to live rich. And so on. None of those titles are coming at the matter of your finances or your treasure from a Christian perspective. I don't think there are any in that uh, library of collection uh, that, that, that did so. so. But if you go to a, uh, Chris, the christianbook.com website and you do a search on uh, finances, you can get all kinds, of, all kinds of books that come at the approach supposedly from a Christian perspective, and so I did that, and here are some of the titles that I found. Money, Possessions, and Eternity, The Blessed Life, Unlocking the Rewards of Generous Living, Uh, another one, Unlocking Wealth from the Courts of Heaven, God's Creative Power for Finances, Money Mysteries from the Master, there's a guy who liked alliteration, uh, he, he was a 3M writer. Think that one through. Money Mysteries from the Master. And then Thriving in Love and Money, and so on. I mean, I, I didn't even... There were multiple pages of these titles. I just went through the first 10 or so titles, not pages. Look, when it comes to stewarding your treasure, there is no shortage of... Um, There's no shortage of advice that is offered to you and how to do different things related to your stuff and your money. Uh, You can find stuff on uh, budgeting, the nuts and bolts of budgeting and handling debt and investing for the golden years and so much more related to the stewardship of your treasure. Well, what I want to do this morning is get a little more foundational than that. I'm not going to spend a lot of. I'm not going to spend any time talking about uh, budgeting or, or or debt management or investing for the future, or any of that kind of thing. I, w- I want to look at this stewardship of treasure and the responsibility that we have in that stewardship from a deeper level, the level of the heart, because it is at the level of the heart which will affect your 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 practical everyday life. So let's look at this passage. This is Jesus teaching, and in verses 19 to 24, in this passage, uh, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord makes it clear that the stewardship of your treasure involves your whole heart. Now, I have to go back to uh, uh, a Sunday school series we did a couple, three years ago on the heart and remind us, and I do this from time to time, just reminding us that when the Bible talks about our heart, usually it's talking about the, the, three, the whole being that revolves around the three compartments of our heart, the compartment of feeling, the compartment of thinking, and the, the compartment of choosing. Intellect, emotions, will, our, uh, our mind, 
our desires or love, as well as our will or our volition. Those three compartments comprise the totality of the heart. In verses 19 to 21, Jesus is centering on one of those compartments when he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he's focusing primarily on what you love, what you desire. Where your treasure is, there will your love be. Your emotions will be attached to where your heart is. But in the rest of this section, verses 19 to 24, he brings in the other two compartments of the heart. And then, after doing that, in verses 25 to 34, he moves from the heart to the outworking of the heart, your everyday living. So let's notice, first of all, how the stewardship of your treasure involves your whole heart. Where you invest, where you invest your treasure, it shapes your love, your desires, your feelings. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, you have, some, you have some options for your investment, don't you? You can invest in earthbound investments in verse 19. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. By giving that exhortation, that implies that you can. That is an option. You do have the option of making earthbound investments, such as the accumulation of a greater net worth, Think, for example, of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, this young, young guy who's got, uh, he's got a position, he's probably got a corner office, you know, that kind of a guy. He's, he's still young, and he's got uh, responsibility over uh, other people. He's a rich, wealthy, young ruler. He wants to know what does he have to do to have eternal life. And when you get right down to it, Jesus targets his heart And he says to him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the guy lowered his head to, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he turned around and he walked away. Why couldn't he do that? Because his heart was where his treasure was. His treasure directed his heart. His treasure was the accumulation of a great, of great net worth, and therefore that's where his heart was. He loved that so deeply that he couldn't walk away from it. Well, in making earthbound investments, you can also make the investment of the accumulation of prized possessions. Prized possessions. For example, in Luke chapter 12, You have that parable, the Lord tells, of the rich fool. And in verses 16 through 19, uh, he tells this parable. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And the man thought within himself, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? Well, I guess at that point he he could have done something really good and noble with all that excess. He already had his barns full of stored crops. No, he needed to accumulate more of this prized possession of his crops. So he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down the barns that I have, and I'll build even greater barns, and there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say, soul, 
You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You're familiar with that parable. What is he doing? He is making an earthbound investment by the accumulating of prized possessions. I think by way of illustration here, for example, of uh, Jay Leno's infamous collection of cars, very expensive collector edition cars. Or I think of Stephen Cohen's $1 billion worth of art that he has collected over the years, accumulating prized possessions. Now, you and I certainly can't afford to build great warehouses and uh, stock them full of luxury collector automobiles. But we can still invest in the earthbound investment of what we would consider to be prized possessions. Another earthbound investment that we don't often think about, but it it shows up earlier in chapter 6 here in Matthew, is that of personal esteem personal esteem. Now, let's pause here, step back a little bit, and get, get a bigger picture of what's going on in this Sermon on the Mount, especially in chapter 6. In a sense, verses 19 through 21 are, are sort of like a bridge between uh, verses 1 to 18 and then the rest of the chapter. Let me show you what I mean. Regarding this chapter, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, We are to handle our treasure in light of the presence of and our relationship to God. We are to handle our treasure in light of the presence of and our relationship to God. So we handle our treasure uh, regarding our religious life in verses 1 to 18 and regarding the stuff of life in verses 19 to 34. Let me show you what I mean. Look at, look at how verses 1 to 18 concern our religious life, the culture and the, the culturing of, the nurturing of our soul and the practices of our religion. In verses 2, 3, and 4, Jesus is critical of those who will sound a trumpet when they are going to give. There's their treasure, giving of their treasure. But is that really their treasure? Not really. He says this, When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. That's their treasure. That's what they want to accumulate for themselves. That's where their heart is. Their heart is in the esteem given to them by others. Jesus says, no, when you do a charitable deed, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So he's talking here about the giving of alms, and he's addressing the heart related to my stuff. In verses five through uh, verses five through fifteen, he's talking about the religious practice of prayer, and here he's addressing the heart in regard to God. When you pray, look at look at look at what he's focusing on now. When you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen by men. Their desire is the accumulation of esteem for themselves. That's their treasure. And then in verses 16 through 18, he addresses the religious practice of fasting. And he says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Why are they doing that? They want the esteem of men. They treasure the esteem of others. So look, one of the things that we can treasure that is an earthbound treasure is that of personal esteem. All right, so that has to do with the religious stuff. In verses 19 through 24, Jesus addresses concerns over the stuff of this life, and he's expanding on, he's expanding on the heart problem related to stuff that he brought up in verses 2 and 2 through 4, the giving of your charitable deeds. All right, and so those the, the, that, that which you use to give to others in charitable deeds, you also have to do with in your everyday life. Well, regarding this treasure of personal esteem, like in verse 2, you can use your wealth to gain recognition, and you can use your prayer and fasting to gain recognition. All of it is suggesting what you really treasure, the esteem of others. When you think about this giving of your wealth to get esteem from others, have you seen these even uh, Christian organizations and uh, they're, they're going to do a building program of some kind and they say to you, if you, we have multiple levels, not multiple ways for you to give, multiple levels of giving. If you give at the highest level, you'll get your name engraved on a plaque and it'll be in big type. The next level, you'll get your name engraved in the plaque, but it'll be a smaller type. And then there's this lower level, you'll just have your name listed as uh, contributors or something of that nature. But the whole, the whole motivation for giving is what? What they're praying on is the, is the tendency to have our heart be investing, invested in earthbound treasures, the treasure of the esteem of men. Well, we can invest in earthbound treasures like our net worth, the accumulating of net worth, or accumulating prized possessions, or accumulating personal esteem, but we can also invest in earthbound treasures of exciting experiences. Here's what I'm talking about. There has been an emphasis in recent years, especially with uh, some in the younger generation, um, to stop buying stuff, not interested in cold consumerism. And instead of doing that, like in giving gifts or so forth, instead of doing buying more stuff and more things, to, to accumulate in the home, instead of doing that, I want to buy experiences because, after all, they will be more satisfying, they'll be more fulfilling, and they won't fill up my house. Well, 
But I want us to think about that. We are still, nevertheless, investing in a treasure that is earthbound if we're investing in personal, exciting experiences. Because just like your stuff, you're not going to take your experiences with you either. They won't go with you into the next life. Jesus tells, tells us, don't invest, don't lay up your treasures on, in things on earth in verse 19. Instead, he says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So instead of making earthbound investments, you can make heavenly investments. How so? How can you do that? Well, let me suggest five strategies, five investment strategies for making heavenly investments. In the first place, be conscious of the nature of the Christian life. Be conscious of the nature of the Christian life. What am I talking about? I'm talking about how Peter addresses us in his first letter, the first epistle of Peter. He calls us strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're just passing through. As the old gospel song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. All right? So I'm just a pilgrim passing through. The best is not going to be accumulated and enjoyed here. The best is yet to come. This is the perspective I'm talking about. This is being conscious of the nature of the Christian life. It's a pilgrimage. But it's also called a stewardship. I'm not only a pilgrim, I am a steward for the master. And as a steward for the master, I steward stuff here, and I enjoy the reward there. This is the kind of consciousness I need to have in relationship to the stuff of this life, material, financial, or even experiential. I'm a pilgrim, a pilgrim who is stewarding what God gives me in this life. Secondly, not only be conscious of the nature of the Christian life, Secondly, I would have you turn to Luke chapter 16, another one of Jesus' parables. And this is the one that causes uh, the heads to scratch, and I won't take the time to elaborate on the, the significance of this parable and what's so confusing about it, but just to get to the point of it. In Luke 16, uh, the Lord tells the story, the parable of the unjust steward, the guy who is cheating his master and he gets caught and then he goes to the master's uh, debtors. He tells them to write down half of what they owe and to pay that and so on and so forth. And, um, and the master, in verse 18, commends the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. But then in verse 9, Jesus applies this parable. He says, I say to you, speaking to his disciples, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home. What Jesus is saying here is the, the point of this parable is, uh, and again quoting D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, if you have money, use it while you are here in this world so that when you arrive in glory, the people who benefited by it will be there to receive you. 
In other words, the point of this parable is that you can lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven by benefiting others for eternity with the stuff with which God gives you in time. You can use your stuff, you can use your material possessions, you can use your financial possessions in such a way that others will be benefited for eternal blessing. Let me give you a third strategy and turn, to, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, and look at verses 17 through 19 with me. 1 Timothy 6. Paul tells Timothy, as a pastor of, of people in his church, some of whom happen to be wealthy, he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they, may be, rich, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So you see in verse 19, Paul is clearly talking about rich people laying up treasure in heaven. And, and he suggests, to put it in a general sense, the strategy would be to enjoy that, those riches, enjoy that wealth broadly. Enjoy it broadly. Yes, enjoy it personally, because he says at the end of verse 17 that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So if God has blessed you financially and blessed you with, with possessions and riches, well, God gives you those things on one hand to personally enjoy as a means of praise and thanksgiving. Let me illustrate. Many of you are parents, and many of you as parents have had your children grow up and they've left the nest, and you now have grandchildren. So every one of us who has that kind of a relationship with little beings on this planet, we know what it's like to go to the store and uh, take our hard-earned cash and lay it down for something to give to our children or our grandchild. And we don't mind at all spending that money on that child, our grandchild. Not at all. And when we take that and give that gift to our loved one, our child, it delights us to see that child open up that gift and have eyes wide open and get all excited and start playing with that thing. And every time we see that child, whether it's a little child or an adult child who takes that gift and uses that gift and enjoys that gift, we take delight in their enjoying of that gift which we have given to them. All right, so I take that to mean that we can lay up treasure in heaven when we take the gifts, we, we receive the gifts that God gives to us, and we enjoy those things 
as a means of praise and thanksgiving to our Father who has given it. But it doesn't end there. I said, Paul is encouraging those who have wealth, those who are rich in this world's goods, to enjoy them broadly. So at the end of verse 17, he says, yes, God's given us richly all things to enjoy, but one of the, things, one of the ways you can enjoy those things is by doing good, by being rich in good works, by being ready to give and willing to share, being willing to share. You take those gifts, those good things that God has given to you, and you enjoy them broadly by sharing them with others, not hoarding it for yourself, not being selfish with it, and finding pleasure in it only for yourself with no thought of God or anybody else. No, enjoy it broadly. A fourth strategy for laying up treasure in heaven is by using our resources, financial resources particularly, strategically, generously, and selflessly. Using them strategically, generously, and selflessly. Let me show you a couple of passages. Back in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. In Matthew, chapter 25. It was last week that we looked at um, the parable of the talents. At the end of that parable, and we talked about how that is uh, that parable of the talents, the stewardship of the, uh, the, the talents that God gives to us are to be used in, the light, in light of the coming of Christ and the judgment that He will render. Well, in verses, uh, here in Matthew 25, verses 34 and following, He talks about that coming judgment, that time of judgment. And He says in verse 34, "...the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." Now look what He says, "...for I was hungry, and you gave Me food." I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer the Lord at that day and say, Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, take you in, naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So one of the ways that you lay up treasures for yourself in heaven is by helping and blessing Christ's brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are believers in Christ. You lay up treasure in heaven when you give of your resources to help a brother or sister in Christ that you see that is in need. Uh, Jesus gives a variety of ways in which that can be done. Some of them don't necessarily involve the laying out of financial resources, such as visiting someone who is sick. But others do. Giving of food, giving of drink, taking a person in, a stranger taking a person in, clothing a person, all of those would involve your financial resources. So you can lay up treasure in heaven 
by helping and being a blessing to Christ's brethren. But back in Matthew chapter 6, at uh, that passage we looked at a few minutes ago, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus talks about the giving of alms, the doing of charitable deeds in verse 2. When you do your charitable deeds, don't sound a trumpet before you. These are, these are uh, gifts that are given that are not targeted specifically to Christian people, to brothers and sisters in Christ. These would be gifts that are given, given to help anyone that might happen to be in need. So, for example, earlier this week, I got a call from, uh, from somebody who had just moved into the area, just gotten into town and uh, got landed in a, an apartment and, was in, and said they were in, in particular kind of need. And I listened to their story. It sounded credible. Most of them don't sound credible, frankly. But I listened to the story. It sounded credible. There were some connections and details that I could tell that this person was was uh, was telling me the truth, or it seemed they were telling me the truth as best I could tell, and uh, they needed food. So I said, okay, meet me at Kroger. So I met him at Kroger. Kroger. I went in and got a Kroger gift card, and I gave him the gift card and said, uh, enjoy some food until you get paid. And so on they went. Now they did say they'd come to church Sunday morning. I don't see them here. Nevertheless... Nevertheless, here's the thing. We don't look at a situation like that and say, well, are you going to be in church Sunday morning and make all kinds of conditions upon our generosity that aren't part of the text, if you know what I mean? This is, here is here's Jesus is talking about the, the typical scene that anybody would see as they walked through the town in, in Israel at that time. People sitting by the wayside begging. They're in need. And you don't walk up to them and say, hey, look, if I, if I put some money, if I put a, uh, put a shekel in your, in your hat there, are you going to do this and this and this and this and this? No, you, you, you look at them, they're, they're obviously in need. And you have a shekel you can share. You share the shekel. You share the shekel. And this is, this is the kind of thing that is done without any need for or desire for personal recognition. And it's also not done calculating personal loss. I don't think, okay, my, my, you know, I'm not going to be, if, if I, you know, I only got, I only got five bucks in my wallet. If I give them the five bucks, I'm not going to be able to go to Starbucks and get me my coffee. Uh, no, you don't think like that. You, you think there's a person who needs, who's in need, and I'll, and I'll help them. This is the attitude. This is the heart that lays up treasures in heaven. Well, I suppose at this point in time, most Pastors of churches would go off on a thing about how you need to give to the church, and you do. You do. And one of the ways that we strategically lay up treasures in heaven is by giving to the Lord's work. I came across some statistics this week that were really rather startling. I didn't want to have a whole message on 
contributing to the work of the church and the work of the ministry, but I do think it's important for us to, to consider, you know, how are we doing in that regard? And, and this, these were some interesting statistics. I, I thought you might, you might, if you're faithful in giving, you'll, you'll, you'll find some, uh, you'll find some affirmation in this. If you're kind of giving challenged, then maybe you'll challenge, be challenged by it. But here they are. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. And then it says only 5% tithe, and this is general population, I guess, or church people, I don't know. Only 5% tithe, and 80% of Americans give only 2% of their income. Christians are giving 2.5% of their income during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. Hmm. Only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church do so through regular tithing. I think these are statistics gained from a bunch of different studies or surveys. It says, for families making $75,000 or more per year, 1% of them give at least 10% in tithing. The average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches, the average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches is about $17 a week. 37% of regular church attendees and evangelicals don't give money to the church. 17% of American families have reduced the amount that they give to their local church, and 7% of churchgoers have dropped regular giving by 20% or more. Well, you hear those statistics and you say, well, and, and I think it's probably true for our congregation. I don't know. I don't know who gives. I don't know how, how people give or how much they give. I don't know what percentage of the congregation tithes or doesn't tithe. I don't know what the average giving per person is. I, I don't know those statistics, and I don't care to know them. I just read them because I want us to think about ourselves. Do I have a generous heart? Am I laying up treasures in heaven, or am I just accumulating stuff on earth? You know, what, what about me? And then there's a fifth strategy for laying up treasures in heaven, and that is to evangelize freely. What am I talking about there? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and our Sunday school teacher is going to get to this uh, probably next week, if not, then certainly the week after. But in chapter 4, I'm sure, pretty sure it's going to be next week, Paul is talking about his preaching of the, ministry, preaching of the gospel, and, and in verse 7, he says this, We have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay, speaking of the body, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have a treasure in these jars of clay, and that treasure that we have is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to lay up treasures in heaven by distributing that treasure freely. By the way, uh, just recently put out in the track rack these little Gospels of John. They're entitled The Journey Home, and I would encourage you to pick up one of those on your way out today and give it to somebody this week. It's the treasure you have you can give to somebody else. All right, so those are the options for your investment of laying up treasure in heaven. Now, that the, the, uh, the, the essence of these two options, 
the essence, what they are in, in essence is either worldly or godly. Let me show you again what I mean in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, lay, up for not, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, worldly investments, worldly treasures, are those where I am seeking my happiness, my satisfaction, my ultimate fulfillment in what the world has to offer and with what I can buy that the world has to offer. It's the kind of investing, if you will, that completely leaves God out of the picture or at least relegates Him off to the periphery somewhere so that He really, neither he nor his word has much of anything to say with what I do with my stuff. That's worldly investing. Or my investments can be godly. Loving what God loves, loving whom God loves, pleasing him above all else, reflecting his heart and reflecting his character. However you invest, there are returns on those investments that you can expect. You can expect. And those investments are affected in one way or another. In verse 19, he says, if you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, you're going to be laying them up where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Earthbound investments eventually are going to disappear. They're going to dissipate. They're going to be gone. Heaven-oriented investments, rather, in verse 20, are secure. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. They are secure. And God rewards such investments. You saw, that, you saw that theme of God rewarding heaven-oriented investments repeated in the earlier part of this sermon, like in verse 4 where he says, um, uh, do your charitable, charitable deed in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. In other words, you're, not, you're, not, you're not sitting there calculating, can I still get my latte if I give, you know, you know that kind of thing. So that, verse 4, your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. He repeats that idea of the Father rewarding you openly in verse 6, and then again in verse 18. The Father rewards heaven-oriented investments. So the investment, them, the investment itself is affected by where you place that investment. But what I want us also to see, and especially to see in verse 21, is that your heart is powerfully affected by where you place your investments. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How so? Where your treasure is, your heart will be drawn toward that treasure. Let me illustrate it like this. You remember back in, um, in the book of Joshua, at the battle of, uh, the battle of Jericho, 
The Lord said, everything in Jericho is to be dedicated unto the Lord. It's, to be, it's, under, it's under what's called the ban. It's to be destroyed. Everything. Don't take anything for yourself. Achan's treasure was in this earth. He found satisfaction, fulfillment, greatest pleasure in the stuff of this world. Therefore, what did he do? Stole some silver, stole some gold, stole some, a Babylonian garment. That was an investment property. He took those things and he hid them in his tent. His heart, notice, was drawn toward what he treasured, the silver, the gold, the Babylonian garment. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart will also be affected because what you treasure, you will want to defend. You'll want to protect. You'll be defensive of it. So what is that? What is it you treasure? Where is that treasure? What would you fight for? You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right, in uh, Acts chapter 5. Where was their treasure? Where was their heart? To what was their heart drawn? They had a piece of property, and they had seen how Barnabas had property. He sold it. He took the value of that property, and he gave it to the church, laid it at the apostles' feet. And... uh, People looked at Barnabas and said, man, this is what a generous guy. Now, Barnabas didn't do that, so the people would say, wow, what a generous guy. That was just the response. Ananias and Sapphira liked that esteem. So they had a piece of property too, and they wanted the esteem for themselves as well. And they sold their piece of property, but, but their treasure really was not only the esteem of men, but it was the stuff of life. It was the money. It was the wealth. So they defended part of that wealth by lying and saying, yeah, this is all that, this is all that we got from our property here. It's all, we're giving it all to the church. And then, of course, they lost their lives. Where you're treasure is, your heart will be drawn toward that. What your treasure is, you will seek to defend. And furthermore, your heart is affected because you will, you will defer for the sake of your treasure. Again, I think of the rich young ruler. Given the opportunity to follow Christ and to be assured of an eternal home in heaven. All he had to do, sell everything he had, follow me. Now, what was Jesus getting at? Was Jesus saying that in order to, in order to go to heaven, you have to, you have to become poor, you have to sell everything? And No, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was attacking his idol. Jesus was attacking his treasure, what he really treasured. And he did not treasure Christ. He treasured stuff. And because his treasure was his wealth, he deferred from following Christ for the, spa- for the sake of his money. His money was greater than a spiritual decision for the sake of Christ. 
you will receive a return on your investments. The question is, what will that return be? I can't go on further with uh, the, the balance of chapter 6, but let me just point out that in verses 22 and 23, where you invest not only shapes your love, your desires, and your feelings, where you invest is determined by your thinking. It's determined by how you think. And that's what verses 22, through 20, 22 and 23 are all about. The lamp of the body is the eye. And Jesus is, is saying, he's speaking about how you perceive things, how you see things. A good, healthy eye sees things as they really are. Think about Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. Here, have some, take the stone, make it bread. Um, jump off the pinnacle. Bow down to me. Oh, all those things looked like they would be worthwhile and that they should be followed after and he should accept those things. But Jesus had a good eye. He saw things the way they really are. A bad eye sees things through a distorted lens, doesn't see clearly. The other day I had an eye doctor appointment and I had to, I had to do that dilation thing you know, so that the guy can see all the way in there and see everything. Well, that's great for him because he can get in there and see everything. But after that, after that exam's done, I mean, you know, you're walking, I mean, you've had this done, haven't you? And you're walking around like this and it's like you got your, your eyes blurry and your, your lights like this would drive you absolutely nuts because there's like 300 stars shining and you're not seeing things clearly. If the eye isn't healthy, it doesn't see things clearly. Your thinking is clouded by pagan perspectives, by worldly priorities, by the passions for things of this life, by Satan's lies. Contrast Jesus' temptation in the wilderness with Eve's temptation in the garden. Jesus had a good eye. He could see everything perfectly clear. Eve's eye had become bad. She couldn't think clearly. She couldn't think straight, and she went after the wrong treasure. Then in verse 24, Jesus says very simply that where you invest reflects your choices. Where you invest reflects your choices. You can't serve two masters. It's only one or the other. You'll be loyal to one, despise the other. You'll hate the one, love the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and stuff. So where you invest, it reflects the choice of whom you choose to serve, whom you really love, and to whom you are loyal. Where you invest reflects your choices. The balance of this chapter where Jesus is emphasizing not worrying, the, 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 whole, the whole thrust of verses 25 through 34 is simply this. The stewardship of your treasure affects your everyday life. It affects what you worry about. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? It affects what you pursue, such as in verses 32 and 33. All these things the Gentiles, the pagans, they seek. What do you pursue? 
What do you pursue? And it affects what you focus on today, as in verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow, the Lord says. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient unto the day is its own trouble. Now, let me point out, just so we're clear, Jesus here is not warning against forethought. He's warning against foreboding. Haddon Robinson pointed that out in his commentary. He won't wor- he's not warning against forethought, because after all, you know, the Bible also says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. What does she do? What does the ant do? The ant engages in forethought, preparation. No, here's what I think Jesus is emphasizing. And let me paraphrase to make the, emphasis, the, the point. Today, today, I will do what God has called me to do. I will engage in my work. I will care for today's needs as he supplies. I will give generously for the sake of his work and his testimony. I will not in this day, as I do what God has called me to do, I will not allow worry to cause me to overwork. I will not allow worry to cause me to be selfish. I will not allow worry to cause me to hoard. I will not allow worry to cause me to ignore God's work and His Word. Today, I will do what God has called me to do. And today, here again, another point I think Jesus is making in verse 34. Today, I will trust that God will provide what I need when tomorrow comes, as I just simply today do what God has called me to do today. So when it comes to your treasure, the financial and the material stuff that God has graciously entrusted in your care, are you being a faithful, giving steward or a fearful, worrying slave to your stuff? There's the question. Our Father and our God, I pray, help us to be good stewards of our treasure. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake.